Open your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9. We are entering into some of the most amazing passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. And it's so much fun. But remember I said last week that each verse can take us in a different direction. And sometimes different phrases in the verses can take us in different directions. And that's the way this morning is going to be. So make sure that you have your Bible because we're going to be turning in the Scriptures If you don't have a Bible with you, just look under the chair in front of you. There should be a Bible there, and uh, you want to have a Bible. Now, some of the books of the Bible that we're going to be looking at might be kind of hard to find, but that's why the table of contents is in the front of your Bible, and uh, I use my table of contents all the time. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when I, in those minor prophets, I just start at Malachi and thumb backwards until I find the right one. So we're going to be all over the Bible today, and uh, it's, this is going to be fun. If you love God's Word, today is going to be fun. Now, I have to to make an announcement. Next Sunday, I don't care what is going on in your life. I don't care if you're having surgery, cancel it. I I don't care, you know, if, if there's a funeral, that's okay. Let the dead bury their dead. That's what Jesus said. So be here next Sunday morning because we're going to look at how Jesus arranged everything to fulfill the prophecy that we're going to look at today. So next week, it's some of the most amazing stuff that you'll ever see. So be sure to be here next Sunday morning for our morning service. Now, look at Zechariah chapter 9 and look at verse 9. And you may see some familiar things in this verse. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit, wherein is no water. So now what I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try and preach these three verses as a unit, and then we'll come back in other services and kind of flesh some of it out. But I want you to see how God has put all of this together. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Please help me as I try to communicate this text today. Lord, thank you for God's people. Thank you for your people here in this room who love your word. Lord, help us to set aside the cares of this world for a few minutes. And let's just see the the marvelous things that you've given to us in your word. Lord, there are things that we need to bring before you. Lord, Aaron Edwards' surgery that's coming up on Tuesday. That's such a, a, a difficult thing. But, Lord, you're not surprised by it at all, and you know exactly what he and Kelly, the kids, uh, Eric and Amy and Vicki and the whole family, Holly, all of them, what they all need. So, Lord, I pray that you'll help. And then, Lord, Evelyn Payne's family, as she's preparing to come home to be with you, Lord, I pray that you'll help them, encourage them, and, Father, help Evelyn in this time. And then, Lord, Jamie Radak and her family with her father, 
on hospice and trying to, fl- to travel back from Brazil. Father, I pray that you'll be with all of that. And Lord, now we do worship you by exalting your word this morning. Help us to learn from it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as a pastor, the Bible says, preach the word. So that's not preach what I want to. That's preach the Bible. Amen. That's, that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. Reprove. That's show you what's wrong. Rebu- show you what's right. Rebuke and show you what's wrong with all long suffering and doctrine. Today is going to be a very doctrinal message. We're going to go through the Bible and allow the Bible to explain itself. Now, the kind of message that I'm doing this morning is not done in churches very much anymore because the Bible says the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. And it's, it's work. And so that's, it, it's, this is such a great story. So when we were designing this auditorium and I was picking out the lights, everybody look up at the lights for a minute. It hurts, doesn't it? That was mean for me to do that to you. The, uh, <laughs> so the lighting contractor, he said, you know, these lights are awfully bright. Usually in churches, we like to have it a little bit darker. And I said, well, at Grace Baptist, you have to be able to see your Bible because that's what we do. That's the whole purpose for this room is for people to open their Bibles and for us to read the scriptures and grow in the Lord together from the Bible. And, and so I'd say, and they go, huh. <laughs> and they, they, they didn't have any idea of what we were doing. So that's what we're going to do today. So let's just, let's just dive in and do it. So look at verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Jerusalem. If you look in the middle of the verse, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. This is the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. That's prophesied hundreds of years before he does it. And there are some things that we will learn from this text that are really fun. But what's interesting, I got to remind you of this. So last week we set this up and we said, always remember, if you're going to study, especially the Old Testament prophets, the principle of dual fulfillment, the principle of dual fulfillment and the principle of partial fulfillment. So if you have dual fulfillment, that means that there is an immediate fulfillment and then there's an ultimate fulfillment. That immediate fulfillment of the prophecy can be a partial fulfillment and then there's an ultimate fulfillment. And then we looked at Isaiah 61 and Luke chapter 4 and we saw that Jesus read Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 and then he stopped before it got to the day of the vengeance of our God. The Bible says, and he closed the book. Him closing the book is the only reason any of us were ever born. If the vengeance of our God had taken place, we wouldn't have ever been born because the judgment would have happened already. So what you have there are these intervals in Scripture that the Old Testament prophets didn't know anything about. And we're going to look at some of those intervals this morning because they're here. And here's what I want you to see. Verse 9 deals with the first coming of Jesus Christ and his triumphal entry. Now, that's obvious, right? And we're going to see those cross-references. Verse 10, look at what it says. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen. And his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the, to the ends of the earth. That has not been fulfilled. 
that did not happen when Jesus Christ was here on the earth. Are you all with me so far? So what you have is there is a gap between chapter, between verse 9 and between verse 10, and that's where we live. We live in that gap. The church, God's whole purpose for the church, his revelation of the church, that all takes place in those passages. Look at the book of Ephesians with me. Of course, keep Zechariah 9. All right. Ephesians chapter 3, and look at verse 1. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, what are those next three words? Don't miss that. That's us. All right, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to your, you word. So God gave Paul some information for the Gentiles. That's for us. Now, this is the important thing. You're about to see the verses that explain the gap between verses 9 and 10 of Zechariah chapter 9. All right, verse 3. How that by revelation, now revelation, we know of the book of revelation, that is just God revealing. That's supernatural, the supernatural revelation of this information from God to Paul. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Now let me define the word mystery for you. It's not Scooby-Doo and the mystery mobile. It's not that. This, a mystery, is something that God has revealed to us that couldn't be known unless he had revealed it. All right? That's what a biblical mystery is. And you can there are seven mysteries that are identified in your Bible. This is one of them. Isn't that interesting? Seven mysteries. That's God's perfect revelation. Okay, so verse 3. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in a few words. Now, what is that mystery? Whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Very important. Look at verse 5. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So do you see that? The, The Old Testament prophets didn't know this. This information didn't come until the apostles, and specifically the apostle Paul. This is information that was not known. It was a mystery that was concealed until God chose to reveal it to the Apostle Paul. Now, verse, what is that mystery? Verse 6, that the who? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among who? The Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Now look at this, really important, don't miss this. 
which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known. Look at, what does it say? What are those next three words? Everybody, what are those next three words? The manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Jesus in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Okay, so now, what is Paul saying right here? That God had hidden this mystery of the church, that we would all be in the body of Christ, black and white, uh, Asian, doesn't matter what your race is, doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. We're all one in the body of Jesus Christ. That's the mystery of the church. Uh, How many of you ever heard, you probably didn't, years ago, People would preach that, you know, if you were an Asian, that you're not supposed to marry a Caucasian. Or if you were a Hispanic, you're not supposed to marry a black. Where they got that was where the Jews were not supposed to intermarry with the Gentile nations. They weren't supposed to do that. Why? Because God was preserving the Jewish nation so that the Messiah could come through that line. That doesn't have anything to do with who we marry. I'm a mongrel. You know, how many of you remember that, that Looney Tunes? The dog was 50% Schnauzer and 50% Dachshund and 50%. It hit like 500% in him with all of those things. That's most of us who are sitting here. Are y'all with me on that? And it doesn't matter. It, does, it just doesn't matter at all. That's one of the mysteries. The other mystery is that your race has nothing to do with your position in the church. So now, imagine if we had... Now, I've got some Jewish blood in me. Imagine if I said, well, you are not Jewish, and salvation is of the Jews, so you have to do what I say. That's why the Bible says in the church there's neither Jew nor Greek. We're all one in Christ. That's the mystery. That's what takes place between verses 9 and 10 of Zechariah chapter 9. That's the mystery. It was hidden. So now let's go on. Okay, go back to Zechariah. And what happens in this text... So let me just ask you guys some questions. How many of you know that Jesus Christ is going to come back for us and we're going to get raptured out? How many of you already know that? Hold your hands up. You already know that. And how many of you actually believe that he's going to come back and reign on this earth for a thousand years? How many of you? Now, here's what it's sometimes it's hard for us to understand. We are about, I don't know, I don't know, 5% of Christianity. See, sometimes we think that everybody believes that. Most of Christianity does not believe it. If you go to the Catholic Church, they, they do go talk to the priest. They do not believe this. If you go to an, to an Episcopalian church, 
They do not believe this. If you go to most Presbyterian churches or Lutheran churches, they do not believe those things. They don't believe in the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, and they don't believe in the rapture of the church. Here's why. It's really important that you get this. I don't talk about this enough. I make, I make allusions to it. Some of the things that we're going to get into over the next two weeks are very specific, detailed things that you've heard me refer to, but I've not explained often enough. The way that we approach the scriptures determines the doctrine that we believe. And here's what it comes down to. Two words, literal or allegorical. Literal or allegorical. I watched one time, how many of you remember Jack Van Impey? Any of you remember Jack Van Impey? Now, some of you who know Jack Van Impey now would not understand what he used to be. Jack Van Impey was a member of the church that started this church. He was a member of Temple Baptist Church in Detroit. He was an independent Baptist, Bible-believing preacher. He was called the, the Walking New Testament. He had the whole New Testament memorized. I remember when I was a kid, he had my father do the music for several of his crusades, and I, I would love watching Dr. Van Impey preach. Well, he, he got into some trouble. He didn't get in trouble. Some Christians were really mean to him. Some people in the fundamentalist movement thought that he was associating with people that he shouldn't. They started attacking him, and he basically lost his entire ministry, lost his buildings, lost everything. So he launched a new ministry where he would no longer believe in any kind of separation. So he came out and said that the, that the Pope, uh, John Paul II, was the greatest evangelist of our generation. He began saying things like that. And it was so funny, I was watching TBN or whatever it is, the, uh, the Pentecostal network, uh, uh, flipping channels, and I saw Van Impey standing there with Robert Schuller. Y'all remember Robert Schuller from the Crystal Cathedral? There's, there's no, I don't know if there's ever been a greater heretic walking the earth than Robert Schuller was. He was an evil, false prophet, okay? That church is actually a Catholic church now, but he, he was a false prophet. So his son took over that ministry and became the pastor. And that night, that the, the show was being hosted by Schuller's son and Jack Van Impey together. And they started talking about Bible prophecy. And Van Impey would quote something from the book of Ezekiel, and of course he's quoting it from the King James Bible, just like we have it. He's quoting these verses, and Schuller would look at him and say, that I was taught that's an allegory. That's an allegory. So let me explain the difference. Literal is you take the words and what it says, that's what it means. Right? So when your dad says, take out the trash... That doesn't mean go watch TV. There's no hidden message or code. It is take out the trash. Where's, where's Jim? Is that right, Jim? Is, is that right? That's right. Now, mom, you may never understand, but when dad says, no. so that's literal, okay? Allegory is where you have a story where the characters in the story represent a different meaning. That's, that's allegory. The words don't actually mean what they say. There's a deeper spiritual meaning. The Bible says that we are supposed to take the Bible as it is written. We're supposed to believe every word of God. The Bible says, thy word is true from the beginning. 
Okay, so we take the Bible literally. And it was so funny watching Schuler and Van Impey. All of a sudden, Van Impey was the old-time fundamentalist Baptist preacher. He goes, it's not allegory. It says this. This is what it means. It's fulfilled here. And he started quoting scripture, going back and forth and back and forth. And all of a sudden, I started thinking, Dr. Van Impey, I think you're separating again. It is so interesting. It was the perfect picture of the different approaches to the scripture. So now here's what I want you to do. Get your Bible. Okay, everybody pick up your Bible and close it like this. And here's a math problem. Take about a third of it. Figure out about a third of your Bible. Okay, when you have it, look up here. When you have a third of your Bible, look up here. Okay, now rip it out and throw it away. How many of you do not want to do that? That's what happens when you allegorize the Bible. A full one-third of your scriptures prophesy about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Did you hear what I said? For every one prophecy of Christ's first coming, and there were more than 300, for every one specific prophecy, for every one verse giving a prophecy of Christ's first coming, there are eight that prophesy his second coming. So it's really important that we understand how significant this difference is. Sometimes people have the idea that if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture or you don't believe, that's not that big of a deal. How many of you think a third of your Bible is a big deal? You think? Look at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, and look at verse 19. So we're looking at the difference between a literal interpretation of the Scriptures and an allegorical interpretation of the Scriptures. Verse 1. So Acts chapter 3. I said verse 1. What am I doing? Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Repent ye there. So this is Peter preaching. Repent ye therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of the restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of... What's that next word? Everyone, what is that word? His holy prophets since the world began. Do you see what this is saying? That, so look, let's, let's just break this down. So repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now, what is this times of refreshing? Verse 21, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. Until the times of the restitution of all things. What is the restitution of all things? Right now, how many of you ever get tired of people getting sick? People that you love. You're tired of that? How about the sin in the world? You can't watch an NBA game without them promoting homosexuality. The filthiness of our generation. 
Well, what God is not going to put up with that forever. So what's going to happen is he's going to rapture the church. We're going to be taken out of here. And then for seven years, point by point by point, step by step by step, it's probably time for me to preach this again and show you the details of it. The, the six days of creation, what happens in the tribulation period is step by step, God destroys the individual things that he made in the creation. And he takes it back. The entire world is destroyed. The, the stars are moved. The, the, the planets are moved out of their rotations. The, everything is changed in the world. And listen, more than half the population of the world dies in that time period. And then Jesus Christ comes back and heals the land. And you have the refreshing from the Lord and the restitution of all things to the way they were before the fall of man and before the flood. When the Bible talks about the lion lying down with the lamb, that's what happens in the kingdom because that's the way it was before the fall of man. That's the restitution of all things. The Bible makes it very clear that that is what all the holy prophets preached about. That's the foundation of the word of God. And for people to take that away and say, that's not true. You can't understand that. That is a lie from the pit of hell. We need to understand that time is short. Jesus Christ is returning. How many of you are seeing the world getting better? Is that what's happening? No. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. People are crazy, and it's getting crazier. The Bible tells us all of that. And if you want to understand it, then you need to have a literal understanding of the Bible, not an allegorical understanding of the Bible. As we continue through the book of Zechariah and we start teaching it, you're going to see things that you've probably never seen before. Because most teachers go to a commentary to get information. They don't compare the words of Scripture, believing every one of them. When you believe, well, let me tell you what happened to me. So went to Bible college, graduated from Bible college. I had, um, <clears throat> I, I had two years of Greek training. We translated entire books of the Bible, and, and that's the, the typical way of, that people are trained. Patrick did the same thing. Did you do Hebrew too? So, yes. So that's the way that we were taught. And so what they would tell you to do, this is really important. Don't, don't miss this. The, the reason that you're going to learn things uh, that you might not have ever seen is because I learned something after I went to college that helped me. So what they would teach you to do, and I could have brought some of the tools in, what they would say is, so we're reading in, in Zechariah, but here in the book of Acts. So what they would tell you to do is get your Greek New Testament and then get a lexicon. A lexicon is basically a dictionary, but it's a dictionary that has commentary with it that explains the words. And so what they would say is get your Greek New Testament and look up what those Greek words are, then go to your lexicon and learn what the lexicographer, the person who wrote that, believes that word should mean. 
That's, that's the way that we were taught. That's what it means to do a word study. What does this word mean in the original language? But here's the problem with that teaching. What you're actually studying is the lexicon. You're not actually studying the Bible. How many of you have noticed that God uses words very precisely? Right? And the word that's translated here is the word that opens our eyes. I'm not talking about the word of God. I'm talking about the individual words. Those are the things that open our eyes. And let me give you a little history of how this works. So, obviously, the Bible was finished around 100 A.D. You guys got this? About 100 A.D., the Bible was was finished. That's when John wrote, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And then he said, If any man adds to this book or takes from it, then the the plagues that are in this book will be applied to them. Don't mess with the Bible. That's what it's saying. Jesus said, until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot nor one tittle of the law shall pass away. He he has preserved his words. We believe every word. So here's, here's just a quick overview. Bible's finished around 900 A.D. By 150... A.D., how many of you have lived longer than 50 years? Would you raise your hands? How many of you have lived longer than 50 years? Some of you ladies need to get your hands up. Okay, so that that gives you an idea. We're not talking about a really long period of time. Within 50 years, the Bible's translated into Latin. Within 50 years, the Bible's translated into Syriac. And so you have the Hebrew and the Greek. The Hebrew Bible is preserved through the Jewish people. So the the Masoretic text of the Old Testament that our Bible is translated from, that text is consistent. There's really no dispute about the Old Testament because the Jews have been in existence forever. And the Bible says they were given the oracles of God and they have preserved the Old Testament text. God has used the Jewish people to preserve the Old Testament text. The New Testament, written primarily in Greek, that form of Greek, it died. No one speaks the Greek of the New Testament. If you go to Greece, and remember, the first fish fry was in Greece. Did you know that? You have to think about that. But if, terrible worst joke in the history of the human race. So if you go to Greece, they don't speak. It's called Koine Greek. It's that, that type of Greek. So that because that language died, then the words of the Bible were preserved through a dead language. So in the English language, sometimes words change. And it's a hard language for people who come to our country to learn because imagine I've got to go, it's it's meat that I go and meet somebody to eat some meat. The the words are, it's it's difficult the way that words are, that, that they change. In the Greek, it didn't change. Those words, they just mean the same. Then the Bible is translated into Old Latin. So the whole Western part of the world spoke Latin. And so that old Latin, they had the Bible in the Latin language. And so Satan had to corrupt it. And a man named Jerome around 400 AD, he was instructed by the Pope Damasus to make the Latin match what they were doing in their church. And so changed the scriptures. And that became known as the Latin Vulgate. Now, just so you know, the Latin Vulgate wasn't the official, the official text of the Catholic Church until the Reformation in the Council of Trent around 1546. So from 400 to 1546, 
The old Latin, I'm sorry, the Vulgate wasn't the official Bible of the church, of the Catholic church, but they used it in all of their masses and all of their literature. But everyone else used that old Latin. Let me give you an example. How many of you have heard of St. Patrick? St. Patrick's Day, clovers, all that stuff. Well, remember what happened. He was from Britain. He was captured as a slave and was made a slave in Ireland. He escaped but chose to go back to Ireland as a missionary. Patrick, now we have nine volumes of Patrick's writings, and he lived around 300 A.D. This is a long time ago, 300 A.D. And we have his writings, we have nine volumes of his writings, and they're kept at uh, the, the Trinity College Library in Dublin. I've seen them. Patrick believed in salvation by grace through faith alone. He believed in believer's baptism, not infant baptism, that a person had to be saved in order to be baptized, and he only believed in baptism by immersion. He believed in the separation of church and state, that the government has nothing to do with the church. Patrick believed just the way that we do. And here's how we know that. He wrote, but what we find in his writing is the text he was using was that old Latin Bible. When Augustine was persecuting the Donatist Christians, there, was the, there were these Christians in northern Africa called the Donatists. And again, it's around 400, so 100 years later. Around 400, you have the Donatists preaching the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection, believers' baptism, following salvation. And Augustine was sent to kill them. Augustine killed 30,000 of those Donatists. And we have the writings. There, I've got a volume this thick by Augustine, and it's called On the Donatists. And in that, you have letters written back and forth from Augustine to these Donatist pastors, a man like Petillion, where they're debating the scriptures and the Bible that these old preachers, these Donatist preachers were using to preach the gospel was that old Latin version. Patrick had a grandson in the faith named Columba. Columba went to Scotland to preach the gospel. And what Columba did was he made 200 copies of that old Latin Bible by his own hand. Why? You can't be a Baptist without a Bible. Just like us, you've got to have the Bible here to learn and to study. He made 200 copies of that old Latin Bible. And then those missionaries went to England and they preached the gospel all over the British Isles. And they believed every word of God. So this concept of a literal interpretation of the scriptures compared to an allegorical interpretation of the scriptures that helps us to see the difference between Zechariah 9.9 and Zechariah 9.10, that, that view, that literal view of the scriptures that allows us to see that, that's what everyone taught from the time of the apostles up until Augustine. Now, St. Augustine, anyone heard of St. Augustine, right? And he wrote a book called The City of God. And in that city of God, he said that the church and the state should be one and that we are that the that the kingdom of God, that the that the kingdom of heaven, the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ began when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that we have to take and conquer the world militarily. That's why he killed those 30,000 Donatists. 
will conquer the world militarily so that we can allow Jesus Christ to come back and establish his kingdom. So here, it's very important that you understand this. Taking an allegorical view of the scriptures led to millions and millions and millions of people being killed in the name of Jesus Christ. So when you have these new atheists, these modern atheists, and they attack Christianity because of what has been done in the name of Christ, listen, they're right. Because of a wrong interpretation of the Bible, millions of people have been murdered in the name of Jesus Christ. One of the reasons it's so difficult to lead Jewish people to the Lord Jesus Christ is because of what was done to them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that comes from an allegorization of the Scripture rather than a literal interpretation of the Bible. So here's what God did. God reveals the scriptures. He gives them to the people in the language of the people. God's people go out and everywhere they go, they're translating the Bible into the language of the people because the Bible is our sole authority, not a church hierarchy, but the word of God is our sole authority. And they're evangelizing the globe and winning people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the rise of that Catholic system where Augustine, he sets up this system and they begin systematically killing people who believe the Bible. Well, then we have the Protestant Reformation. Now, remember in the 1200s, you have uh, John Wycliffe, who's called the morning star of the Reformation. He translates the Bible into Old English from the Latin Vulgate. Isn't that interesting? And then Tyndale comes along. William Tyndale puts the Bible in the language of the people. And, of course, he has to be killed for doing that. But Tyndale, because Tyndale, 85% of your New Testament is from William Tyndale. Okay? And then God started using men to put the Bible into the hands of the people. Because people got the Bible in their own language, now you have the Protestant Reformation. Out of the Protestant Reformation comes the Anglican Church. The, and out of the Anglican Church, remember that Henry VIII wanted to divorce his wife. The Pope wouldn't let him divorce his wife. So he, he destroyed all of the, the monasteries. He kicked all the Catholics out. And he said, I am now the head of the church. Well, about 100 years later, you have King James. King James has a problem. He's followed Elizabeth... And there's about to be a civil war between the Puritans and the Anglicans. There's going to be a civil war. Now, remember, that, that had already happened, right? There's going to be a civil war. And he calls the Puritans and the Anglicans together at a Hampton Court conference in 1604, Hampton Court Palace. And so he has John Reynolds, who's the Puritan, and then the Anglican bishops, and Reynolds had all of these things that he wanted to do to purify the Anglican church, and, and James was going to have none of it. But he said, we need to have a new translation of the Bible. We need to, to purify the translation that we have. And James said, okay, we'll do that one. And so then the Bible's translated into the King James Bible. It came out in 1611. From that point on, now remember, from... 400 A.D. until 1611, the predominant view of the state church is an allegorical interpretation of the scriptures and that there's no millennium. 
But now when the King James Bible is translated, now remember, Anglicans, they are ah, millennialists. That is, they don't believe in the millennium. They believed it was a figurative thing. They don't believe in the thousand-year reign of Christ. They translate what you hold in your hands right now. And it's the most pre-millennial Bible ever translated because of the consistency of the translation of the individual words and phrases. Are you all with me so far? I hope I'm not boring you to death. I'm almost done. Because of the consistency of the translation of those individual words and phrases, all of a sudden people start seeing words, phrases like the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, then the day of the Lord cometh, the day of the Lord, that day, that day, that day. And they start comparing those things in the Bible. A woman in travail. When you see a woman in travail, it's a reference to these seven years of trouble, the times of Jacob's trouble. Woman in travail, terrible suffering for the nation of Israel. And you start reading that and learning these individual things. And here's what happens. Now we have an explosion of premillennialism and people believing in a literal and imminent, that means at any moment, return of Jesus Christ that's going to happen. And it changes the world. We have the greatest period of evangelistic explosion since the time of the apostles. Why? Because there is a king and he's coming back to reign and Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen? Because we believe that, it affects the way that we do ministry. If you believe, and you're a Calvinist, which comes from Reformed theology, if you believe that God's going to save whoever he's going to save, and that you don't have anything to do with it, and he's going to say people who are going to get saved can't be lost, and those who aren't going to be saved can't be saved, so just forget about it. There's not really a reason to lead people to Jesus Christ, is there? And so what God did, what God did with this book that we hold in our hands right now, is he reminded people that he's coming back. And I want you to think about what's going on in theology right now. Because people are moving away from the King James Bible to the modern translations of the Bible, now post-millennialism is on the rise. Calvinism is on the rise. An allegorical view of the scriptures is on the rise. Why does that happen? Because people move away from a literal belief in the words of the Bible. See, what we believe about the words of Scripture matters. It just matters. Amen? Now, I hope that you come back tonight. I'm done. I hope that you come back tonight. Tonight, we're going to look at these verses. Now, don't put your stuff away yet. Hold on. Hold on. I did say I was done. I lied. Just take that allegorically. I didn't mean it literally. Tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Zechariah 9.9 and Zechariah 9.10 and Zechariah 9.11. And what we're going to see is the first coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, and the first coming of Christ. The millennial reign is sandwiched between two passages about his first coming. Why did God do that? Why is that? We're going to learn that tonight. I'm just telling you, you really need to be back tonight. We had to lay the foundation for allegorical or literal. Now, how many of you believe the Bible literally? Amen. It means 
what it says, and it says what it means. Our job is to believe it, to study it, to learn it, to understand it, and then to be able to speak it. Amen? Man, we're going to have a great time with this. I can't wait for you to come back tonight because I didn't actually get to my message yet this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for Grace Baptist Church. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to communicate your word.